0: what is the divine? This question can be approached from many sides, many angles. It can be approached intellectually, so to say, psychologically, yogically. So let's see uh, how there are different ways of approaching it. and Let's see how an intellectual would approach because that comes nearest to us. From an intellectual standpoint, one thing is very clear that all that we see in this universe and all that we do not see, yet do not see, there has to be a source and an origin. The material scientists speak of a material energy which is behind all these material objects of a play of forces which sustains this visible material universe. And we can say at one point that there is a source and origin. A single source from which all this material universe has immersed. But then the question is pushed back to the next level. If this world was, if this universe was only material, we can stop with this uh, answer. But this universe is not just material, it is also living. So the next question is, where does a living material universe or living forms come within it? And so on and so forth. We have this very beautifully given in a story form in one of the Upanishads where Bhrigu, son of Varuni, asks him what is the eternal? And his father tells him, you meditate and come back and tell me your findings. So like a material scientist, he reflects and says, well, the divine is matter, andam Brahmeti." That's the answer which many of us give. Now, the beauty of this story is that his father does not negate it, but he says meditate further. So, quite naturally, the young boy sees that there is not just material universe, but living forms in it. And eventually, it is the living forms, though they have emerged out of matter, they are the ones who move matter. They are like, they, they move this bodily instrument and many other bodies that we see in this universe. From a certain standpoint, we can even ex- experience this material universe as expanding and contracting as if it's a living universe. We use the word open system. And so he comes back and says pranam brahmeti. It is the breath of things which is the eternal. So he says, very good. Now meditate further. And he goes further and meditates. And then he says, no, this is not just living forms, but there is thought. And this thought directs the breath of life and living forms are moved by a certain thought. And then we can see the whole material universe expressing a certain thought. If you really look at it very symbolically, the river, the mountains, the galaxies, the sun, the quasars, everything, the black hole. It's a thought which is as if expressing itself in a material form. So he meditates and comes back and says that it is thought which is the eternal. So he says meditate still further and then he goes back and back and he sees all these ideas, different thoughts, they rejoin in one primal cause and he comes back and says Vijnanam Brahmeti." There is one original primal cause of all things from which everything has emerged. Chodha father smiles and says meditate still further. So he goes and then after a long time comes back with the aha experience and says Anandam Brahmeti." All this is essentially ananda which is unfolding itself. And if you really look at every smallest object in the material universe, it is as if dancing with joy. It's almost a mystic experience if you really go back and back and back. But surely we don't experience it as of now. The material scientist is very far from understanding it this way. And if you really go through this approach of uh, purely material science, it will take long. Maybe hundreds of years, uh, but eventually we will hit this point. There will be needed certain leaps uh, into our subjective dimensions of space. And therefore, humanity in its search for the ultimate reality has figured out different ways. So another way is psychological conceptions of God. Now here again we see that we are limited by our, not our reasoning and observation, but by our understanding of ourselves. So we have created God in human image. So if you ask a person who is cruel, what is God? He will say that God is a cruel tyrant. Somebody who believes in punishment and reward Ask what is God? God is the one who punishes us for our uh, errors and rewards us for our virtues, punishes us for our sin. Someone else who uh, is full of a heart of love, you ask him what is God? He will say that God is love who wipes out all our errors and lifts us always out. So as we grow in our uh, psychological being and become aware of different dimensions, aspects of our own psychological nature, we equally start projecting onto that ultimate reality and say divine is this or that, this or that and eventually we we can literally say there are uh, as many individuals, as many qualities because each one is a certain combination. There is a certain truth in this just like the story of Varuni and Prigo. In the sense all our psychological experiences actually derive from the truth is in the divine but within us we experience it in a very limited way. Just as the boundlessness of the divine is experienced as the boundlessness of material space. Similarly the divine love limits and uh, diminishes itself and in human nature it becomes a love tainted with hate and jealousies and fears and possessiveness, momentary thrills etc. etc. Similarly the divine ananda changes into human beings into temporary joy, pleasure and pain and so on and so forth. So every human aspect, human faculty be it will or knowledge uh, is derived from a host of divine qualities from which Different aspects of our human psychology emerge. That's why in the Vedas it is said that there are 333 gods or some would say 333 crores, 33 crore gods or 33 gods. It depends on how we interpret it. That's not the point. But people differentiated some main qualities and they called it a godhead in the sense that they are aspects of the eternal and we too, by uplifting these qualities, can become a power of force of the eternal. So if we purify love, we can become one with divine love and thereby embody and express divine love in a human form. So this is another line of approach. And here again, after discovering all these different aspects or qualities of the divine, we've discovered the great fusion and say that there is the one who is Anantagunna. And uh, going one step further, we could say he is Nirguna and Guni. That's how the Gita puts it that he is without any Gunas and yet out of him infinite qualities come. So that's how we have Vishnu Sahasranam and Lalita Sahasranam, a thousand names of the Lord. So this is another kind of approach. And uh, as I said, both have their own validity, uh, both have their own incompleteness, and uh, both have their own usefulness in our approach to the divine. Then there is of course the mystic approach. Now mystic approach uh, leads us still further. It leads us into the deepest penetralias of existence as Sri says. It means to actively engage with yoga through a process of interiorization rather than intellectualization. The difference is that in intellectualization we can form conceptions of God and while it is good to start with a conception. But this conception can also become a limitation. So let's say in certain cults we have a certain conception that God is sound and light. Or in some other that God is nothingness. Now what we don't realize is this conception limits our experience of God. That's why Shubindo says in the synthesis of yoga that we must start with an integral conception of the divine. So when mother was asked what is the integral conception of the divine she very beautifully describes step by step. For those who are interested to read it at length, it's in Collected Works so of the Mother volume. 8, the very first question. So, she says that all of us start with the conception of the divine, whether he's compassionate, whether, and then we divide this creation into two. One, that is divine, and the other, naturally, which does not match with that conception, and that is undivine. So, there are things which are regarded as divine, all the beautiful things, good things, and there are others which are regarded as undivine. But as we proceed further and further in our search and widen then there it becomes impossible to say what is divine and what is undivine because we touch that bedrock of oneness and we see that well all that we call as undivine in our narrow conception is also divine. Now this raises a big confusion in the mind as to then what is this undivine and can we say that really brutality and cruelty is also divine? well that's where we have a conception integral conception of the divine that divine is not just a static passive presence within or behind nature a kind of approach that certain mystics take but also creation has emerged out of him and creation is an expression of this one who is the source and origin of all things and this creation is constantly moving towards a greater and greater manifestation of that which is at its core and center as the source of all things which means there are things which are divine in the beginning but as there is a passage of time the unfolding takes place then it becomes undivine in in the sense that divine and undivine become a question of action so if i have to act since i am moving from one step to another Then something which is divine at one level becomes undivine at another level. And we can take this famous example of Buddha leaving his family and walking away. Now is it a divine act or an undivine act? To those who cannot look beyond their families, who are still in that narrow frame for whom the family is just a material family, though family itself one can discover material family, psychological family, family of common interest, family of common uh, enjoyments and eventually a deep psychic and spiritual family but most human beings are limited in their narrow material frame so if you ask them who is god they will say ki my parents are my god it's perfectly fine for them but at another level you discover that well parents have their own fallibilities they are also limited beings and you have to widen and see that there is the original archetype the parent of this creation so then you pass beyond the family so buddha's quest has reached a point where if he stays with the family and regards his parents as God, he cannot go further. So what was fine and divine at one point of time becomes undivine at another. So uh, the same applies at every level, humanity and at its early stages needed hard prick of sensations. So if you really look at it, people used to fight with spears, cutting people and you know, they used to uh, take a great joy in that, but now we have moved further. So we start with this integral conception that the divine is not just a passive presence. That's how the Buddha saw him and many others experienced as a permanent beyond manifestation. So they created a rift between or a division between creation and God. So what is God is the stable basis. So they went beyond creation and entered into uh, that state of consciousness Uh, which is impersonal, personal, we'll come to that a little later. Uh, But they created a divide between the divine and creation. Uh, Here it may be good to clarify the term God and divine. Now, actually, they are interchangeable terms at certain level. But the reason why Sri has used the word divine more often and the mother almost always is because the conception of God has become too semitic. So, God is somebody sitting out there with a beard, with a carrot and rod. So, God is somebody who punishes. He's become very human. So, the conception of God has been so much spoiled. So, they prefer the word divine. God creates a feeling he is out of this world. But divine is beyond this world as well as flows into this world. So, at least now we have to start with this source is not just away. But it is the origin. So, it will flow into whatever is. So it becomes not just transcendent but also cosmic and within cosmos each object it will also flow into each object. So it is not just cosmic but also individual and we can take an example. So we can say Ganga Mata is the sublime presence. Uh, Now this is another way to understand the divine it's by images. These images are very interesting. They are used in the Upanishads also. So take this image of Ganges, now Ganges is a presence. Now, even if you don't have the Ganges, physically it dries up, it should not, but let's say it dries up. The presence of the Ganges is still a fact. That's how we have the Saraswati River, who is uh, still regarded as the Great River. It's a presence. It may manifest as a river, as it did sometime, and again in the future, it, it may manifest. But as of now, it's not materially there. So, the transcendent is that which exist regardless of creation even if creation ceased to be even if there was a maha and not just the material universe but the vital and the mental universe and all the gods where to be dissolved that will remain so that is the transcendent and then there is the cosmos so cosmos is like the flowing water of the Ganges so what is the Ganges you say right from Gomuk till Ganga Sagar it is Ganges it is one Ganges You don't say that this is another Ganges, that is another Ganges. It's all the same Ganges. And then the individual is at, you say, Haridwar ka ghat. So in the ghat you have the flowing of the Ganges. Or you fill the pot. And you bring in a pot the Ganges water to your home. So you don't say this is not Ganges. It is the Ganges, though it is now in a bottle. So the Divine has three statuses which are together. And one, uh, the transcendent. The, individu- the cosmic and the individual. And this truth is known not only in uh, Indian mysticism but also in Christianity. It is the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. So this triple status of the divine. So within each one of us there is the divine presence. And he is like our individual master and guide. But he is all the time one with the cosmos. That's why when we discover the divine presence within we discover the same presence in all. Because we discover the individual self and the universal self are one. Though in each one he is unfolding differently. So this same presence is not sameness. The sign that somebody has discovered the divine presence is that he will not make a cult and ask everybody to believe what he believes or she believes or do the same practices or have the same method. He will see that it is the same presence but it is unfolding in different ways. This is the spontaneous discovery and one discovers that simultaneously even if creation were not to be and even if the entire one's own being and the world being was dissolved still there would remain the transcendent uh, into whom both the the two can uh, lapse. So we have the transcendent, the cosmic and the individual divine. Now this transcendent itself now comes the different layers. Now this within the cosmos there are several layers and planes. And at each plane, he becomes the Godhead, the Deva. So you have the deity in Indian conception here who is, who is God? Agni. Agni at the material level he is the builder of forms. He is the boss out there. Now, how is Agni God? Agni is a delegate from the eternal for this universe. So he becomes the uh, presiding deity so you have the solar fire this entire creation starts from this tremendous wall of energy which can be described as a huge fire with tremendous energy and light within it that's how Agni is the presiding deity of material universe he builds all forms or if you go at the uh, light breath then you we say that Vayu, Vayu is the God so we see some of these Upanishads, Prasnuptishad for example which will say Agni is the God uh, then he says Vayu is the God because At each level, these great godheads are powers of the eternal. They come from the eternal. They preside over their cosmos and they are always united in the eternal. So somebody at the pure material level will regard Agni as the god. That's why he is the first godhead. Because we start from there. So first people invoke the Agni as the godhead. Of course, Agni has several levels and layers. Uh, There is the inner Agni. There is the... Uh, Agni in its own home of truth But right now just for the sake of um, You know different universes Similarly somebody at the level of the prana He will say pranayama is the way And a vital person By controlling the prana You can actually come in touch with the Cosmic breath Which controls this universe And you are one with that great breath And a person with a more mystic bent of mind Will say it is the breath of the lord And then if you go still further At the mental level The ancients here said Indra. Now what is Indra? He had eyes all over. So it's a consciousness of the mind. Mind can be uplifted to a level where it can see simultaneously all things together. Which is what the Sahasrara is. So one will say well Indra is the deity. Now of course subsequent to the Vedas all these names change. Their functions change. But that apart at each plane there is the God whom you can discover as the Godhead of that plane. And one can be through that door enter into the eternal. What about beyond the cosmos and of course there is the cosmic divine. So beyond the cosmos again there are planes of manifestation and beyond the cosmos the transcendent is often referred to as uh, impersonal by some and by some personal. Now impersonal those who approach him as if he is nothing they experience nothingness. impersonality those who experience him as a person a being they discover the supreme being who is behind now actually they are not antagonistic everything in universe is personal and impersonal at the same time an atom is personal in the sense it's a form and an atom is impersonal in the sense all the same forces are playing within each atom as anywhere else as a human being we are personal in the sense that people relate with us personally as a being but we are as an individual form but we are also impersonal all the forces that move us move everybody else so a time comes when you discover that well this is just a distinction that the mind creates artificially between personal and impersonal divine a question people often raise but how do we know he is a being now this is very easy to answer If we take it that the origin of creation is all conscious state. Now why all conscious? Because consciousness is emerging. If it was a mechanical, inconscient nature, then out of it life and mind and consciousness would not emerge. So if there is an all conscious state, so there is a state of consciousness in which consciousness is fully aware of itself. Through consciousness. So what do we say someone who is fully aware of oneself? We say it's a being. A being doesn't mean this form. It can take many forms. To the worshipper of Shiva, he may come as Shiva. To the worshipper of Krishna, he will come as Krishna. To the worshipper of Kali, he will come as Kali. But it is the same being who takes these different forms. Provided we approach him in the transcendent sense. Now this transcendent, which is both personal and impersonal, that's how... Unfortunately the debate started between Nirgun brahman and sagun brahman because those who approached in one way they said he is nirgun brahman and the other sagun brahman and they fought with each other had they taken one step further they would have discovered they are one and the same it only is a question of how you approach it now this being who is both personal and impersonal at the same time is described in uh, the highest experience of him is described as Satchidananda. So he has these three aspects which are fused in each other. He is Sat, his existence. So obviously he is true existence. Because all other existences have come from him. So he is called Sat. And Sat Purush. Because he is the true Purusha. All other Purushas means states of being have derived from that. So he is Sat because he is the true existence. Out of his substance, everything else has emerged. He is also chidgan. There is a the power in it. Power of self-awareness and power of world awareness. So he is also Chit. And all other little, little Chit. We all have a little bit of consciousness. Even an animal has has come from that. So he is Chit-Ghan, Chit-Shakti. And together the Sat and Chit-Shakti sometimes conjured as the image of Ishwara and Ishwari Because you see masculine and feminine. Sat is pure existence. And Chit is the power that brings out of that infinite existence countless possibilities. So she becomes Shakti. And their union is Ananda. So we have Sat-Chita-Ananda. They are all the time together. But beyond the mind, we have these three higher states of, well, uh, divine self-existence. So we have the pure Sat-Lok, where it is the Sat-Aspect which is prominent. We have the pure chit lok where the consciousness is prominent. And we have the Anand Lok where Ananda is prominent. And connecting these to the higher world of Sat Chit Ananda, lower world of matter, life, and mind, is the supramental consciousness. It is the consciousness with which the Divine, who is one, becomes the many, is aware of the many, and plays with the many. The moment one comes below the supermind, one forgets the one. If you go beyond it, you are aware only of the one. But in the super mind, like in a prism, you have one ray, white ray becoming many rays, uh, many different colors. So super mind is that state of consciousness. So now we can see the divine is one and in infinite. He is in each atom of existence, in each particle of existence. He is in each human being. He is in this drift of galaxies. He's in each universes. He is beyond the universes and all these he is personal impersonal at the same time and all this together and beyond all this that human mind can conceive so that becomes the divine so this because Sachidanandi is still something which is conceivable uh, at least intellectually so human mysticism Indian mysticism went beyond it it says but where has all this come from so it says of that we can say nothing that is that. Call it Par Brahman. Call it Tao. From whom Sachidanand and all this play. For the sake of creation. Out of himself he has shadowed forth Satchidanand. For the sake of the play. And all this play proceeds from there. So we have now all these different ways of being of the one divine. We have the Sachidanand, We have the lower triplicity of creation at which he manifests. We have the Brahman. Which is impersonal and personal and we have in each individual there is the divine presence and beyond these three we have it beyond is a way of saying actually beyond it you can't define it It is Parabrahman which cannot be defined or described is beyond that's why it's called beyond now I would like to read something Uh, as I said that these are images But mystic experience we must have and the ways when mother was asked how to find this divine presence because that is a perfect way of knowing. So she said, seek him. Seek him with all your aspiration. Not just five minutes, I am seeking the divine. That's not enough. Seek him because he is hidden behind all these works. You know, we have this who in the blue of the sky, in the green of the forest, whose is the hand that has painted the globe. When the winds were asleep in the womb of the ether, who was it roused them and bade them to blow? So behind everything, behind the laughter of a boy, blush of a girl, uh, behind everything he is hidden. And then he says, but these are his works and his veils and his shadows. But who is he then? By what name is he known? Is he Brahma or Vishnu, man or a woman, bodied or bodiless, twin or alone? And then he ends up by describing even in the densest darkness he is hidden there. It is he in the sun who is ageless and deathless. And into the midnight his shadow is thrown. When darkness was dense and covered with darkness. He was seated within it immense and alone. So when mother was asked that does the inconscient aspire. She said it is the divine in the inconscient who aspires. Now when we look at things from the divine angle everything changes. Who aspires within us. Divine within us who aspires. Who lights up this flame. Now we understand the Vedic Agni within man. Which now climbs further. And seeks to go further and further. That energy which is there in material universe. In human being it takes the form of the divine will. The divine energy. Which is seeking to go further and further. But this of course is a well known poem. I want to read from another poem. Which is amazing. It's called Parabrahma. Because, you know, that's where we can... Our thought stops. Beyond it, thought cannot climb. So, Parabrahman. just a few lines. It's a long poem. Starts beautifully. These wanderings of the sun, these stars at play, in the due measure that they chose of old, not only these, but all the immensity of objects, That long time far space can hold. Are divine moments. Sharo of the Gita. Are divine moments. They are thoughts that form. Their vision in the self of things august. And therefore grandly real. Rule and norm are processes that they themselves suggest. So they are realities of a deeper existence. So the world is real. Because it has emerged out of the divine. And dwells in the divine, goes back to the divine. Now see, where is it? He is hidden inside. The self of things is not their outward view. A force within decides that force is he. It's the Shakti which has built these worlds. His movement is the shape of things we knew. Movement of thought is space and time. So the moment mind is born, there is space and time. Not the individual mind as we understand but a cosmic mind which divides things into different finites. A free and sovereign master of his world within. He is not bound by what he does or makes. So beyond the universe. Now he is talking of the uh, transcendent. He is not bound by virtue or by sin. Awake who sleeps and when he sleeps awakes. So in poetry you can you know, express it so beautifully. He is the one who sleeps in matter. He is stunned in the rock. He is the one who is awake in plant. He is the one who smiles from a flower. He is the one who thinks in man. He is the one who aspires in the seer and the sage. And he becomes the vision. And he becomes the object of pursuit. He is not bound by waking or by sleep. Neither day nor night. He is not bound by anything at all. Laws are that he may conquer them. To creep or soar is at his will. To rise or fall. He is beyond all the laws and rules and norms. So when people are in little sects then they create all these you know. Uh, the narrower you are the more you have the set of rules from fasting in this day and doing this and doing that. But the more we enter into freedom we discover uh, the, the utter freedom of the divine. One from of old possessed himself above. Who was not anyone nor had a form. So divine is self aware of himself. Sam Prakash. Nor yet was formless. So he is neither form nor formless. Neither hate nor love could limit his perfection. Peace nor storm. He is we cannot say. For nothing too is his conception of himself unguessed when he hides himself he says I am nothing and when he hides himself from our view we discover nothing we say there is no being out there it's nothingness because we have approached him from that angle that's why Shabinda says how important is faith and mother speaks of if you believe the divine punishes he will be cruel and far for you because you need it but if you believe that he lifts you every time you fall he will come and lift you every time you fall And she says, people don't know how important is faith. How it connects us with that aspect of the divine in which we have faith. And Sri says that to the nihilist, he waits in the bosom of annihilation. Because we believe that, no, no, there is nothing. So at the end you discover nothing and you say, see, I was right. (laughs) Of course you were right. (laughs) You are always right. (laughs) This is how human thought proceeds. (laughs) But if we could only say that whatever I may have discovered is nothing before what I am yet to discover. That's why great humility is required on this path. And the more you discover the divine, the more humble you become. Because you discover that really you know nothing. (laughs) He who knows and he who inspires us to knowledge. He wakes up in us and we call it knowledge. That too will come. He is, we cannot say for nothing too, is his conception of himself unguessed. He dawns upon us and we would pursue But who has found him or what arms possessed. How can you possess the infinite? You can be possessed by the infinite. You can become one with him. You can identify with him. But you can't say that you have possessed the infinite. He is not anything, yet all is he. He is not all, but far exceeds that scope. Both time and timelessness sink in that sea. Time is a wave and space a wandering drop. Within himself he shadowed being forth. This is the satchidananda, because it's beyond all things. So how does he connect with it? So he shadowed a being forth. Which is a younger birth, a veil he chose to half conceal him. Knowledge nothing worth save to have glimpses of its mighty cause. Knowledge is what? It is his faculty of knowing. So when it awakens in us, we are able to know a little bit, just a glimpse. But beyond knowledge is delight. And high delight, a spirit infinite, that is the fountain of this glorious world. Delight delight that labours in its opposite, faints in the rose, and on the rack is curled. This was the triune playground that he made. Mind, life and body. They've emerged from, if you see, Satchidananda. And one there sports a while, he plucks his flowers and by his bees his tongue, he is dismayed, flees from himself and has his sullen hours. <laughs> All is he. What a vastness towards which Shura carries us in the last stanza. The almighty one new labor, failure, strife, Knowledge forgot, divined itself again. He forgets himself and then rediscovers. He made an eager death and called it life. He stung himself with bliss and called it pain. Can't help reading the next one is God. Thou who pervadest all the worlds below, yet sittest above. So God is not just sitting out there in heaven. He is there even in hell. What a relief that our friend and master is even there so we don't have to worry. (laughs) He waits for us everywhere with his arms, even in darkness. Master of all who work and rule and know, servant of love. You can approach him through knowledge as I am not this body, I am not this sensations, I am not this thought, I am not these feelings and eventually you arrive at who am I? This is the way of knowledge. So when you discover knowledge, you discover he is the master from whom this light of knowledge has immersed. Similarly, you can approach through works, nishkam karma, constant remembrance. And you will discover him as the master who alone is the sole doer. And I thought ignorantly that I am the doer or I am an instrument. All this was meaningless. But there were steps in that discovery. When you approach him through love, how does he come to us? What do you want, my child? I am your lover and beloved. So he becomes a servant. Can the divine become a servant? He can become everything. Servant of love. Thou who disdainest not the worm to be, nor even the clod. Therefore we know by that humility that thou art God. So, the divine is... I think we need not qualify, all that we need to say is that the Divine is